Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the pit. Jim Overly. How you doing, Jim? I'm good. How you doing? I'm great. How's uh, West Virginia? How's the weather out there? Ah, we're slowly getting out of the sleet, snow, crud season. We got a few more weeks to go. You know, it can snow as late as mid-April here, but we're hoping that goes away pretty soon because we need to get tracks dried out and get these things opened up. We roll that time depending on the weather. Yeah, I'm, t I'm tired of all the snow out here in Illinois. Oh, really? Joliet does it where the Route 66 drag race tracks at? Yep. All right, now, first question I got for you, Jim, is uh, how did how did it all begin for you to get into drag racing way back when? Oh, man, it was way back when, too. You know, I'm one of the older crowds that's still active uh, in the racing ranks, and I went to my first drag strip. I lived in, in San Jose, in the San Jose, California area, and uh, a friend of mine lived across the street from me that was older than me, and I wonder if I want to go to Fremont. I told him, yeah, I'll go. I was 13 years old and uh, had a couple of bucks and got into, uh, which later became Baylands. Now it's probably some kind of Silicon Valley facility, but yeah, my drag strip uh, in 1963. Uh, in 66, I went in the Navy, um, uh, did a career in the Navy, uh, and while I was in, I, was, I had a, I had a 69, I used to race at Lions when I was in port, uh, I was stationed on a destroyer in Long Beach, and Lions was right there, so whenever I was in port and had the money to go, I'd run this thing, and Later, I got uh, transferred to Maryland uh, to a little place called Bainbridge up on the Susquehanna River with a training center there and had a couple of cars there that I raced out at Cecil County. Uh, I had a 63 Corvette. It was uh, kind of my street car tube. And then I had a 55 Chevy that had a flip-up one-piece fiberglass front end with a 396 with Hillborn stock injectors running alcohol. Um, and I finally finished up my career in the Navy in 87. Um, and again, I was back in the California area. I was in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I went to work for Todd Shipyard Corporation. And I was building a front motor top fuel car running the nostalgia deal with the NDRA out there. And um, Todd Shipyard went bankrupt, and I ended up going to Texas for a job. And while I was in Texas, somebody broke into my shop and stole the top fuel car before I could ever get it on the track. Oh, no. Yeah, stole everything, man. I mean, they even took my file cabinets. Wow. Uh, must have been a couple of 18-wheelers to get all that crap out of there because I had lots of stuff in there. I had a 50 Anglia that I was putting together as a gasser and had the top fuel car, a lot of old 392 stuff, uh, tools, equipment, milling machine, everything. I took it all. It was gone. I never found it, didn't have any insurance, so that kind of put me behind the eight ball for a while with racing. So I didn't really do anything again until I uh, went to Texas, moved out to Texas in 90, uh, and about 15 years later, I started looking at going back into racing again. And in 2009, I bought this altered from a guy named John Lukens down in Florida. This. We 
trace the car chassis back to uh, what we think is a Jerry Caminito car. Uh, it was a, it's like an 83 or an 80 engine. It's a 120 inch wheelbase. Uh, when I bought it, it had a had old uh, KB uh, three motor in it, uh, and it had uh, Ken Vini alcohol heads on it. It was an alcohol car, and I ran it for about six months uh, until I finally killed the motor and sold it off and bought a new uh, TFX block. Uh, a TFX 2000 with uh, the late Alan Johnson heads on it. So it's 526 inches. Uh, it's got a 1471 blower on it. It's got a 30-gallon pump, but it's off the car right now because we're going to a 65-gallon pump on it. Uh, going uh, dual mags, uh, down nozzles, and uh, the 65-gallon pump, it's kind of a one-off pump made by a guy named Dave Benjamin. I'm sure a lot of the nitro racers know who Dave is. They call him Nasty Benjamin, but he's a very, very sharp guy. Builds a lot of one-off stuff. Uh, great designer. Uh, dedicated as they come. Uh, he's out in Washington. And Dave built this pump several years ago, and it's got a gearbox on it, so you can change the gear sets in it, and It'll put out 45, 55, or 65, depending on what gear set you got in the drive box for it. And it's still not as big as some of the later 100-gallon pumps, but, you know, 65 gallons seems to be the way to go for what I'm doing. The car is not legal to run in any classification as a fuel altered by anybody's standards because it's got a big blower and it's got a big pump. Uh, and it's got a big motor. It's 526 inches, so... There's no class, no class in uh, NHRA or anybody else who allows that combination to run in those fuel altered ranks. So you either exhibition or your match race. That's what your choices are, and I choose to do either. And I'm kind of I'm at the point now where racing at the level that I do with what I'm running, you can't go for the number. You have to go for the crowd pleaser. You know, you got to be able to to get booked in to make enough money to cover your expenses so you can keep doing it. Uh, if I was going to go out there and uh, try to run a, a record, I could probably do that with this car because it's certainly got the engine to do it. But, you know, I don't want to hurt it. I've had the same set of pistons and rods in the thing for the, the six years I've been running it with a, with a nitro setup and haven't hurt but one rod and one piston the whole time. Well, with that 65-gallon uh, pump, you should be shooting out some good header flames. Yeah, you know, it'll be it'll be similar to what Tom Motry's doing and Gary Krause and guys like that, uh, John Lawson with the funny car. All kind of pretty much the same thing. 65 gallons right in there, big blower. Uh, really nice car to look at going down the track, real pleasing. But it's still not so much fuel that you're going to, you know, you're on the ragged edge of blowing something up or tearing crap up every time you make a pass. So, you know, it's, it's probably the limit of what you can do with small crews uh, and limited turnaround time between passes. You know, when, when we built this motor originally, I got help from a guy named Jerry Newman, who's been tuning nitro cars since the 60s. He's... Uh, they tuned for many, many cars. He's, as far as I know, he's still Doc Holliday's tuner, uh, the bronze car. He did that for a long time. Uh, 
I know he's helped out on the Bossberg Pontiac fuel car. But Jerry and I talked about the philosophy of we wanted to run the car four passes without having to pull the pan. And we wanted to do it with a 1471 blower and a 30-gallon pump. And and Jerry came up, after thinking about that, he came up with a tune-up that is almost still the same tune-up that's on the car right now. Now, of course, that's going to change with the 65-gallon deal, but, you know, Jerry Newman was sharp enough that he could take those numbers and put them together and say, well, yeah, I've never worked that combination before, but this is what I think it's going to take to do it. And it, it, by God, it did it, you know. <laughs> like I say, I, I twisted one rod slightly, and I didn't even notice it until I sent it back to Bill Miller to get it checked. Then I had one piston that uh, started to melt the aluminum underneath the coating on it, an Aries piston, but it, it still didn't hurt anything. I mean, it, I got the same sleeves in it I've had since 2009. So I've been very lucky with it. I have no bearing failures. Uh, I run areas coated fuel pistons and Bill Miller rods. Uh, I got a Mooneyham blower on it. Uh, I'm going from a bird to a buzzard catcher on the injector with a big Enderly barrel valve. Uh, it's a, like a hundred gallon barrel valve, a huge one. I, I had Jerry Newman on my show. I actually thought, uh, you know, later I'll send you a link so you can listen to an interview later on. Yeah, Jerry is. Uh, Jerry and I met under the strangest of circumstances. Him and I are both on a on a private nitro board that we both belong to, and I was working a job in Indonesia at the time when I met Jerry on that board, and it just so happens that Jerry stayed in the same hotel I was at in Indonesia when he was over there working on a building that was just down the street years ago. And it was just weird. And, you know, we, we became fast friends over that deal because it was strange because I was over there on a construction job living in the Sheridan Hotel, the same place he was. And I could look out the window of my room and see the building he worked on that they never finished because the country ran out of money when he was over there. But Jerry's uh, been a huge help to me. Uh, he's a very nice guy. Um, and if you're in the nostalgia drag racing uh, game and you run a nitro car, you need to be talking to him at one point or another because he's got some stuff that will help you. Yeah, I get, I get to see Jerry when he goes with uh, Doc at uh, Great Lakes Dragway over Great Lakes Dragway over by me here. He, he was okay. doing he was doing Doc and He was doing Baz Young at the same time. He'll do four or five cars in a, sing, in a single season, you know, and mm. maybe not full time on all of them, but he's certainly helping on all of them, you know. I mean, I know he helped out with the Boss Bird deal, which is a kind of a one off Pontiac stock block motor uh, with heads that were made by, uh, uh, oh, geez, I can't, I'm going to be ashamed of myself, I forget his name, uh, guy in just outside of Pittsburgh, who's done some work on my heads when I burned it. I actually cooked them uh, through a gasket one time, but uh, he built those heads for that Pontiac motor, uh, CNC'd them and built them half by hand and half by CNC. Um, Tom Hempel. Yeah, Hempel Motors uh, outside of Pittsburgh. And I got on to him through Ted Bryan, you know, I've, 
You know, you had Ted on. Yeah. <laughs> Ted's, Ted's one of kind, buddy. Oh, yeah, great guy. Yep, him and Mark Becker, uh, two peas in a pod, you know. Ted gets a gets a lot of the, the fame and fortune, you know, but Mark has been in there with him from the beginning, and Mark has uh, run a lot of good cars in his own right, you know. Ted, Mark, and a guy named Pete Caulfield have always helped me when I get up to the Pittsburgh area when I go to run the car, because there's no tracks here. When I moved to West Virginia, it was a... It was a... Were you saying something? No. Oh, yeah, when I moved to West Virginia, it was like I moved into a black hole of nitro help. (laughs) There's nobody here that knows anything about a nitro car. Uh, it's the only blown nitro car in the whole state. It may be the only nitro car in the whole state other than an RC car. So if I want help, you know, I got to go up to Pittsburgh, get ready to run it, and they show up at the track and help me. But, you know, I live three and a half hours from those guys, so it's tough to get anybody to come down and work on the car on a regular basis. So I'm trying to cultivate a few guys around here by going to one of the technical schools and see if I can grab, grab some help that way because it's real tough to work a full-time job and have the things that I got going on and then try to find time for the car too by yourself. You don't get a lot done. Right. So. I did want to say though, Jim, uh, thank, thank you very much for serving in the for our country in the Navy. Oh yeah, you know, you kept me off the streets and out of the bars and the world is a better place because of that. So now with the altered, how, how much percentage nitro you run that altered on? You know, I I always try to keep it uh, 85 when I'm doing a warm-up in the pits. But when I get out there on the, on the starting line, that thing is going to have at least 88% in it all the time. You know, I believe it. If you're going to call it a nitro car, then run the crap, man. Run it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, I, and I'm good with that. You know, I, I, I hate the price of nitro, but... You know, if you're going to run a nitro car, then, then get out there and do it, you know. Go big or stay home. Yeah, I don't know if you saw that article recently about the Big Show guys saying how much uh, nitro methane prices going up and they're, you know, it's getting hard these days. Yeah, I, I just uh, talked to some people the other day. You know, you can, you can if you buy it uh, from the right people, you can get it pretty decent, you know, if you're... If you're forced to buy it through the designated fuel provider through one of the major sanctioning organizations, everybody that you can think of is getting a piece of that, so it's expensive. Yeah, it's like over over a grand a barrel. Yeah, yeah and it's and it's and it's a it's a forty two gallon drum. <laughs> yeah, you know, some guy that didn't know anything about about anything figure well we can sell it for you know a barrel well his barrel of oil was the industrial standard for a barrel of oil which is 42 gallons the drum that we normally buy is 52 gallons you know so i guess they just you know everybody wants to get a piece of it and it just ends up being the racers that, that end up paying it you know and like i say you got to keep the car competitive to the point where there, it's good enough to the fans want to come and see so to cover your expenses if you don't tear nothing up when you go that's why you named that car the fuelish habit huh? you got that habit the ha- yep. habit cannot be broken you got to keep keep going 
Texas I ran was an outfit called the Outlaw Fuel Operator Association that was put together by Bobby Marriott. Really good people, really solid organization, good program. They run six, eight races a year. Sometimes they'll squeeze in an extra race late in the year if somebody really wants them. But, you know, they'd run this, uh, this deal where everybody goes out and qualifies. And the top eight people that qualify go to the first round. And then the top two winners, the quickest two winners out of that first round go to the final. So everybody's running a couple of qualifiers. If you're good enough to get in the show, then you're running a third pass. And if you're good enough to get in the final, you run four passes. That's why I say we, Jerry and I set the car up to run that four passes without having to pull the pan. Because I didn't know how much help I was going to have at the track. Right. But I did get some good help. I got uh, a guy that used to work for Steve Schmidt Racing Engines, and I think he may have moved on to something else, named Jason Smith. Good friend of mine. He's uh, he's an American citizen now. He came up from Australia years ago. Um, hard to understand him at first, but he's a good bloke. Uh, he helped me a lot, and uh, he was in the school down there, the... Uh, uh, Sam, the School of Automotive Machinists, which is a very, very good school in Houston for guys that want to learn CNC stuff uh, involving automotive parts. And uh, he graduated from that class down there. He completely rebuilt a set of Allen Johnson heads for me, everything, valves, uh, everything in it, seats. Uh, so I got a spare set of heads down here with his name on them. I'm going to run them if I ever need them. Uh, and then Doyle Smith, another guy that runs a fuel-altered car uh, called the Chemical Reaction Car. He's out of Paris, Texas. He's a good friend of mine. He was, uh, between the two of them, they were the crew chiefs on my car for almost all the time I ever had it on nitro. Uh, so now, last year in 2018, how many events did you run, Jim? Man, I didn't run anything last year. I had a whole bunch of stuff going on. I... Like I said earlier, I was working in Chicago or in Joliet and living here and only getting home like two weekends a month. And I'd only be here long enough to say hi to everybody, eat a couple of meals, and then get back on the road and go back to Joliet. So I didn't have any time to run it last year. The year before, I got a couple of passes up in Pittsburgh, uh, again with the help of Ted Bryan and Mark Becker and those guys. Uh, this year... I plan on doing a lot more with it because I'm settled in down here. I'm working locally now. Uh, I'm a project manager at a chemical plant out here, not far from where I live, and I work five days a week. But if I need a day off, I can get it. So it's no big deal. I plan on getting that car out a few times this year and, and seeing what the 65-gallon deal will do. It's a, It'll be a learning experience for all of us for sure, but, you know, if you're not learning something, you're probably bored anyway, right? Yeah. So do you have, you have any events booked yet? Nope, I don't have anything booked, uh, and I don't want to commit to booking anything until I get the bugs worked out on the 65-gallon deal. Uh, one thing I am looking at, though, and it's not firm, but I am looking at it is possibly getting out of the driver's seat and putting somebody else into it. I've talked to Joe Morrison about it. He's interested in it. This would be a nice car for him to to get up in the 65-gallon range. Uh, it's, it's a very stout performer. Uh, the car's got five-second potential. Uh, it's already 60 foot at uh, under 940, so it's got a real stout setup in it. Um, 
and it screams, and, it, and the motor is solid as can be. I mean, I would have never believed if somebody would have told me 10 years ago you could run a 526-inch nitro motor with the way I run it and hit 9,400 RPM repeatedly and not damage anything. I didn't think it could be possible to do that. This thing will hit 9,400 RPM on a pass, and it's just screaming. <laughs> wow. And it's happy when you bring it home, you know. That's the good thing. I don't tear nothing up. There ain't no smoke coming out of it. I did burn a head gasket one time, but that was probably a, a clamping issue as opposed to, you know, a parts failure. I think everybody wants Joe Morrison to drive for them these days, huh? Joe is a really solid guy, man. He works his tail off uh, for several different things. I mean, he makes a living for his family. He's got this Right to Breathe organization going really strong now. I think he will eventually move into that full-time as form of employment. But, you know, Joe loves the races. Uh, he's got his own car, but he races for plenty of other people. He drives Ted Bryan's car. Uh, I think he's still driving some stuff for uh, Rocky Perone and the Philadelphia area uh, and other cars he's into, you know. So if I, if I were to, to decide to do something, I better jump on him pretty quick because he'll but, but I've talked to some other guys too, but, you know, Joe would be my first choice on that. I, I trust Joe. He knows what he's doing, and he likes the car, you know. Yeah. So now... What was, what was the experience like for you for the first time driving at Fuel Altered? Well, I didn't get any sleep that night. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, you know, when I, when I converted it over from, from an alcohol car to a nitro car, we played around with it for like a month and a half into the winter job, just the warm-ups and getting the idle temperature set on and I had a pretty good idea what it would do, but when I took it out to Evadale Raceway in Texas to run it, uh, I had no idea how much power the thing would make. I mean, it just stunned me. It was so powerful. And it was running in the middle of the uh, East Texas woods, which is called the Piney Woods area out there. And it just, it roared. I had guys that lived four miles away from the track that said they could hear it like it was in their backyard. Yeah, that must have been quite an experience driving that thing. Yeah, and that was just a hundred. That was a three hundred foot hit. <laughs> now with the sixty-five gallon tank pump on there, that's going to be even more fun, huh? Yeah, yeah, and I'm not sure. I'm not going to have to start making some changes in the drivetrain. I mean, the drivetrain I got is strong enough. It's got a three-disc Crower Crower Glide in it, but I may have to go to a four-disc clutch on it. And I may have to go to a 350 rear end and get rid of the 411 I've got in it now. Because I need to load the motor more, being I don't put that much fuel to it. So I've got to load it up pretty good. And the, the only way to do it is to get the gear real high in the rear end of the car to load it up. And the other thing I could do is go from, I'm running a 34 and a half inch tire now. I could go to a 36 inch tire, but I have to do some body modifications to do that. But, um, now, do you, but I got, do you, got a razor, uh, RPM data logger system on it that's got all the, all the data points in it, flow meters and all that. So 
I'll have a pretty good idea what the car's doing as soon as we get it fired up and running. Now, do you do you, do you do you do real long smoky burnouts with that fuel altered? I do smoky burnouts and and dry hops with it. That's the deal. Yeah, that's the that's the crowd pleaser right there. Yep, that's it. If you can do long smoky burnouts, do dry hops. They're gonna come watch you, even if you can't get down the track. You know, if it's if it's squirrely all over the place and you can't hit 100 miles an hour because you had to shut it off, you can do the dry hops and the long burnouts. They're still gonna to want to come see you. Yeah, I want to see uh, Ted Bryan and uh, Rex Stevens do that quarter mile burnout together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll do one with him. <laughs> I'll do one with him. I put a put a. I got a throttle stop I use on the car because my foot isn't as, as tuned up as it used to be, you know, and the car angle is a little short, so the motor sits so far back, your feet are almost straight up and down, so you don't really get control over your foot on the throttle like you'd like to, you know. But, you know, when you think about it, you're either off the throttle or you're on the throttle, one or the other. But, you know, on a burnout, it's not quite that simple. <laughs> So I use a throttle stop because there's no way to get my foot control to the point where I can pedal it where I want it. So now, after after all these years of uh, drag racing, what what still keeps you passionate about doing it? You know, a lot of it has to do with the people that are involved with it. You know, either great friends, people that are dedicated to something. You know. Is a good, wholesome endeavor. Uh, I'm sorry to see a lot of the younger generation doesn't seem to have a lot of interest in this. I think, you know, and I don't want to be negative, but I think if a lot of these young guys that get off the video game long enough to get out to a drag strip, it might something find something that's very interesting going on out there. Yeah. You don't have to, you don't have to do it yourself. You know, if if you're interested in it, go out and watch people do it. You know, but uh, we've, we've got trouble with our sport because, uh, you know, the financial side of it is tough for a lot of people. It's tough for me. I mean, I'm what's known as an ass-pocket racer. I race out of my own pocket. I don't have sponsors. I've never had sponsors. I get very few things free. Uh, so, you know, in order for me to do that, I have to be able to, to convince a track owner or a promoter or some fans that, you know, I'm, I'm worth coming to see. Uh, but you know, it takes a lot of a lot of butts and bleachers in order to support this sport. If the racers can't do it on their own. Everybody go broke. <laughs> yeah. So now, do you have a regular crew for that altered? No, I don't. I've got uh, four or five guys in the Pittsburgh area who will help me if I go to Pittsburgh. A few of them would come over if I went to National Trail outside of Columbus because it's not that far. Uh, but other than that, I have no crew. I got one guy that just started helping me here locally, uh, a guy named Tim Moore. Very nice guy. Been racing a long time himself. He's got a couple of couple of race cars, including like a pro comp dragster. But he's uh, been over helping me on the car over the last month and a half or so. So he may be uh, maybe a good resource for me. He seems to be very competent. You know, he's, uh, I don't have to tell him what to do. Cause he's got a pretty good idea. As long as he has an idea where I'm going, then he can get there. 
But I'm still working on getting the crew, man. Put the word out for me. <laughs> All right. I'll feed you, and I'll, if you're trainable, I can train you. So right now you're the crew chief. Yep, I'm, I'm the bottle washer crew chief. I even clean the toilets in my shop, man. Yeah, well, if, when people listen to this interview, when they play it back, maybe maybe someone will be interested, hopefully. Yep, you can find, you can get a hold of me uh, through my website, foolishhabitracing.com. Uh, phone number's on there, email address, the whole deal. So anybody in the local area out here, and I'm actually, I'm about five miles from Ohio border. I'm right on the Ohio River in Parkersburg, so, you know, the southeast Ohio area, southern PA, south, southwestern PA, any place in West Virginia, you know, I'm your local nitro guy. <laughs> yep. So now, when you first uh, got into drag racing, Jim, who, who was inspiration to you out there that was drag racing? I like the, the, the local guys for me, uh, like Gary Densham, uh, Jim Dunn, those were California racers. They were, you know, independents. They didn't have big sponsorships. They're, you know, one year Jim Dunn would show up with something on his car, and the next year he'd show up with Jim Dunn on his car, you know. Uh, and, you know, he was a firefighter. Uh, Densham was a, was a high school shop teacher. Uh, John Force was a truck driver when I first saw him, you know. Uh, and then Joe Giacono, I remember him out when I came out to Maryland in the early 70s. He was like the local big shot drag racer in a nitro funny car. Uh, Joe, I think, passed away last year, but, you know, there was, he was still a very, very thought of, well thought of guy in this area. Uh, and then there were some other guys, you know, like uh, Tommy Grove. Uh, I think he ran a car called the Melrose Missile, and then there was a Sox and Martin car, and Grumpy Jenkins was still was was racing back in those days. I never saw Don this or Don Prudhomme until the seventies, and the same with Garlitz. I never saw either one of them until in the seventies. I mean, they you know they they ran all over the place, but I just never ended up at a race where they were at. So now, when you when you started drag racing, were your parents supportive of your drag racing? You know, my mom and dad divorced when I was thirteen, so my dad didn't know much about it because I hadn't seen him for a while. But you know, and, and again, I didn't start drag racing until I was in the Navy, so it wasn't like I needed mom and dad support. I was on my own. <laughs> I don't. I don't mean money support. I just meant they supported you, like they backed you up. You know, be there for you, go watch you, whatever. You know, my uh, neither one of my parents ever went to a race that I had ever. I, of course, I was, you know, in all fairness to my parents, I would cross the country from where they were most of the time because I was in the service. Uh, now, how about your wife, wife Debbie? She supports you. Yeah, you know, Debbie supports me to the degree that she can. Uh, we're raising two young granddaughters, and uh, she's got some health issues she's working through right now. So, but, you know, she she supports me to the degree that she wants me to have fun, but don't kill yourself. <laughs> so, how many but, how many kids you have? Yeah. Uh, how many kids do you have? 
Uh, I've got three. They're all grown. They live in uh, the West Coast. I got uh, one that lives in Washington and two that live in Oregon. Now, any of the three kids like drag racing? Yeah, my son, my oldest son does. Uh, he used to do some stuff with uh, diesels, uh, like rock crawler diesels. Uh, he had a business for a while doing that stuff where they were installing, uh, you know, the suspension and drive systems and stuff that they would use on the rock crawlers. A very slow, methodical movement of trucks through rocks and you name it. You know, I just, some of it's amazing to watch what these guys can actually do with a vehicle. You'd never think they could get away with that, but they do. Now, how about the grand grandkids? Any of them like drag racing? Yeah, they're, they're girls, you know. They don't know much about drag racing. I do have a picture, I think, on my on my uh, website of my youngest granddaughter uh, pumping nitro out of a drum for me so we could mix it and teach them young. Yeah, there, there's a lot of girls out there doing the junior directors. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know a couple of women that are single still have their kids running junior dragsters and they're dedicated to doing that you know yeah that those those are the future of drag racing right there you know and that could be the next uh Brittany Forrest Courtney Forrest Leah Pritchard whatever yeah. yep yep same with the boys you can have your next John Forrest Tony Schumacher doesn't doesn't, doesn't even have to be a big show though they could grow up and be a nostalgia driver they could be a next uh jim overly (laughs) yep someday somebody's gonna have to take my place it may not be a direct line of descendants but somebody will be out there doing what i do yeah and uh you know i hope they have as much fun and as much enjoyment out of it as i've had over the years i mean if you want to go broke you'd be a drag racer but if you want to go broke and have a good time you could do the same thing you know they told me one time, if you want to be a millionaire being a racer, you got to start as a billionaire, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, nostalgia guys that are all getting getting up there in age, so maybe someone's going to have to step in the driver's seat. Yeah, yeah, I'm good with that. You know, I think there's a, a point in time where, you know, you can't let your ego get in the way of your good sense. You know, uh, I, I'd be just as happy to, to tune the car and kind of make the calls on what I wanted to do and work with a driver that's competent at what he's doing. And I can sit back and take as much enjoyment out of watching it make a decent pass with somebody else behind the wheel. I'll tell you, you know, when you're, when you're the owner, the crew chief, and the driver, that is a long day, buddy. <laughs> and, uh, you know... Believe it or not, there's a, it takes a lot of energy out of you to, to suit up and get in the car and and sit in the staging lanes and then make the pass and then come back and strip off your gear and then go work on the car. You know, that doesn't end. It, you know, to my age, that is a very long day. Yeah, I can imagine. Might be looking forward to a little rest uh my hand on the driving duties off to somebody else, and uh, I'll just take care of the tuner. Right. So now, for you, when you go out there, when you're when you're the driver, still, would you do you have any uh, pre-race rituals or superstitions when you're out there on the track? 
don't think I really do. There, uh, what I what I do have is I have some things that I want my crew to do to make sure that I've got a cue to do what I need to do. Like I got somebody that raises their index finger to make sure that I remember to pull it out of high gear from the burnout and put it in first gear, right? Because I run a two-speed Lenko. Uh, and then I got somebody that reminds me to pull my face shield down because I forgot about that once. Uh, then I make the guy show me, I want him to show me the throttle stop so I know he pulled it off the, off the linkage for the injector. And I want somebody to show me the the remove before flight tags off the fire bottles in the parachute so I know that I can use them if I need them. You know, those are the kind of rituals I do. It's kind of a kind of a procedural thing to make sure that everybody has done their part so that when I go down that track, if I need to pit those chutes or I need to pull those fire bottles, they're going to work. So now, when you got a weekend of uh, drag racing, Ahead of you, what goes into preparation to get that fuel altered ready? Uh, a lot of work, man. You got to load the trailer out with spares, uh, fuel. Uh, you got to get the car set up in there. I run a an airbag under the car to keep it from bouncing, you know, in the trailer. And uh, so I got to get it all tied down. It, it takes a whole lot of stuff to support one of these cars, you know. I I may take sixty gallons of fuel just for a weekend four passes because the car burns a lot of fuel it burns almost 13 gallons of fuel pass with the burnout the backup and the run so you gotta have a lot of fuel capacity uh, I usually take a drum plus eight or ten five gallon containers of fuel and most of it's hundred percent and I just mix it as I need it when I get there with alcohol but I mean, you got, you know, I'm running 13 quarts of oil in this thing, and you got to change the oil every pass. So there's a lot of stuff that has to go in that trailer. To, and then you got food for everybody. You know, you got to feed these guys, too. Mm -hmm. uh, so now, what, what are some of your uh, favorite tracks to run on, Jim? Uh, I like uh, Denton. North Star Raceway in Denton, Texas is a very nice track. Uh, I like Route 66. Uh, I like Keystone. A lot of guys don't like Keystone because it's an older track and it's got little grass strips on the side of it. But, you know, I'm in the opinion you're driving a fuel walker because you get in the grass. It ain't much different, you know. <laughs> They're sliding all over the place anyway. Uh, I like National Trail. That's a nice track. I think it's underrated. It's a, it's a, used to be a national event uh, venue, and then they did away with that many years ago, and they don't run a national events there anymore, even though the NHRA owns the track. I don't know why they won't throw the money at it. <laughs> I like the Evadale in, uh, in East Texas, and I like San Antonio uh, down in... Uh, Actually, it wasn't in San Antonio. I think it was Marion, Texas, outside of San Antonio, right on Interstate 10. That was a good track. I like Fremont before they closed it, but that was a long time ago. <laughs> uh, the new track they got, uh, Route 42, up in Ohio, that's going to be a wonderful facility when they finish that up. I think it's Highway 42 or something like that. 
threw a bunch of money at it over the past couple of years. The track in Zenny, Ohio, uh, is a good track. Now, have you ever been up to, to like, uh, Illinois or Wisconsin area at all racing? No, I haven't. I know you got Byron up there and a couple other decent tracks, but I've actually never had an opportunity to go up there. Yeah, Cordova. Yeah, never been to Cordova. I've never been to Eddyville. And so there's some pretty good pretty good tracks up in that area up there, but I just haven't had a chance to run them. Then we got the le- legendary Great Lakes Dragway here in Union Grove, Wisconsin. Yeah, never been there. Uh, I did get to uh, Mocan, uh, just outside of uh, Joplin, Missouri. We raced that. We used to race that every Labor Day weekend. Uh, had some guys that missed the shoot or something and go off the end of the track in Missouri and end up in a cornfield in Kansas. I think Mocan isn't that where they do the uh, Funny Car Chaos event? They do what? Funny Car Chaos? Yeah, I think that might be one of the tracks they do it at. I know the guy that does that. Uh, yeah, Denton. They go Denton, I know. Yeah, Chris Graves, you know him? Yep, I had him on the show. Chris is a very, very sharp young man. He's going to go a long ways in this sport. He loves the sport. So does his wife. Uh, Tara is the daughter of a crew chief on a top fuel car. Uh, I think he's uh, he's the crew chief on Terry McMillan's car. I didn't know that one. Uh, Rob Wendland, that's Tara's dad, uh, Chris's wife. Yeah, I know Chris and Tara both drive dragsters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, when you look at uh, my website, that photograph that's on there, of the flames coming out of it, Chris took that photograph in San Antonio. Uh, very sharp guy going to do well in this promotion deal. This funny car chaos is, has taken off very well. I actually had a funny car body I was going to put on it, and it sat in my shop for five years, and I got tired of looking at it, so I sold it. <laughs> and just about the time I sold the car, the funny car chaos deal took off, and I wish I still had the body. It was a 71 Mach 1 Mustang body. It was a twin to the Fluger Gainer uh, a Fluger Geiger car they ran for a couple of years out on the West Coast, that black and silver one. Well, maybe some, some, maybe someday in the future you'll find another funny car body, who knows? I might, I might, you know. The thing about funny cars is that, you know, they're a little harder on you. Uh, I don't like the confinement in them. I like the open air feel for the, for the fuel altered. Uh, fuel walkers like you know driving a driving a front motor slingshot. Somebody cut the front end of it off, pulled it on short. So now, Jim, do you prefer the quarter mile or eighth mile? You know, I, I like the quarter mile. I really do. But you know, for from a financial perspective, the eighth mile is a better race for guys like me uh, because the the engine attrition is is like twenty percent on the eighth mile versus what it would be on a quarter mile. And that's the, the Outlaw Fuel Walker Association in Texas came to that same conclusion years ago. They used to run quarter mile and they were killing motors. I mean, you know, when you get down a thousand feet, those engines got a lot of stress and strain on them running nitro. And, uh, you know, when you can take that thousand feet back to 
say you're only in the in the throttle for 600 feet on a 660 foot run, eighth mile, your your engine failures would drop by 85 percent, and that made the difference between having 10 cars to go to the starting line for qualifying or having 20. You know. Because people were breaking stuff and it takes time and money to fix it. So they decided to go to 8th Mile. A couple of the venues that they were racing at didn't like that. So they didn't book them in for a couple of years. And then they were, the people that were booking them in still pulled in great crowds. And then the rest of them eventually came around and decided to book them in anyway, even though they were running 8th Mile. But, you know, you end up with racers that aren't killing a bunch of expensive parts and and having to sit out for the rest of the year because they couldn't afford to fix it, you know. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with 8th Mile. I think, you know, anything I'm going to show to anybody, again, in the in the form that I'm running this car, you know, the type of racing that I'm doing, I can do it in 8th Mile. I can do an 8th Mile burnout and uh, do two dry hops and do an 8th Mile pass and come in, you know, 3.8 or 3.9 seconds in an eighth mile at 200 miles an hour, and that's still a good show for somebody. <laughs> so what's the fastest uh, you've you've gone with that, you altered? You know, that I've never really got this nitro car to run a full pass on a quarter mile, but I've got it down into the 390s on an eighth mile over 204 miles an hour so it's it's there i mean there's a lot more that that could be done with it but you know it's i'm still over 200 miles an hour back into the 380s 390s with it now how about when you ran on ran on alcohol before how 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 to how to run back then you know it did run worth the crap the motor (laughs) that i had in it was a was an old stage three kb motor with beanie heads that were probably 25 years old and it, it, I think the best I ever pulled out of it was 418 and an eighth of a mile at 180 miles an hour so you know it just it just didn't have it you know the, the, the alcohol cars and the nitro cars at an eighth of a mile are very competitive with each other it's a toss-up who's going to win that one and the, the outlaw fuel locker association in Texas is made up about half and half half alcohol half nitro and the majority of the years when they crown the year's champion down there, it's been an alcohol guy. But, you know, it depends on your light, depends on your car setup. But the alcohol guy's got a lot of RPMs coming off that starting line, and you got to play a little catch-up with a nitro car. And you only got 660 feet to do it. So, and on an eighth of a mile uh, setup, the, the alcohol cars are, are very comparable to the nitro cars. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've been watching the Funny Car Kids events. You see the alcohol cars are, you know, dom- some, of, some of them are dominating. Yeah, every, every I think every uh, Funny Car Chaos event they had last year was won by an alcohol car. Same guy, right? Yeah, Ken Singleton. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he cleaned clean clocks on, on all the nitro guys. Yeah, you but, you know, got the right setup, uh, you know, but, uh, again, you know, he's running on the ragged edge of hurting that thing, and as long as he doesn't hurt it, everything's cool. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, the, the one time he, uh, 
drops a drops an oil pump and uh, kills a forty thousand dollar motor, you know it's going to be a bad day. Yeah, yeah. So far, he's on. He's undefeated at Funny Car Kids. Can't underestimate these alcohol drivers. Oh. No, the guy that ran, the guy that did, the guy that was the champion, I think most often, if it wasn't Bobby Marriott himself, it was Jimmy Jones, who was an ex Division Four alcohol funny car guy. Uh, Jimmy Jones was a pharmacist. He may be retired by now, I don't know, but it, you know, he ran a Division Four alcohol funny car for many years down in the Texas area, and won those division championships repeatedly and then decided he would have more fun if he came over and you know the alcohol divisions in NHRA are very very competitive now man and you ain't throwing a ton of money at it you're not getting on the you're not getting anywhere right I think he decided he could have more fun coming over and racing against a few altered guys with his alcohol funny car with a different body on it which is what he did and he very successful at it you know because he was very good at what he did in the NHRA ranks. So, you know, he came in there and basically takes half of the championships. I think there's a couple odd guys that have won him here and there, but mostly it's either Jimmy Jones or it's Bobby Marriott winning that thing every year. Hmm. And then we've had some, Terry Bryan came out of that group. He uh, ran a couple of top fuel events last year. Uh, he may run some more this year, I think. NHRA top fuel deal. Uh, Kevin Kinsley, he came out of there. Uh, he races. You ever heard of Hannon Motorsports? Yeah. Roger. Yeah, Roger's a good guy. Kevin's a real good guy. He's uh, got a race shop in the Dallas area. Uh, Kevin run, runs uh, Roger Hennon's top fuel car. Uh, he also a drag boat racer, so Kevin's about as crazy as they come. But, uh, they came out of the fuel altered deal. I used to. I had a business down in Texas, and I used to sponsor. The burnout contest for each one of the events down there, the fuel altered events. So the best burnout, and I'd get somebody to judge them if I was racing. If I wasn't racing, I'd judge them myself. But I used to give a bonus to 50 bucks per event. So it was like, you know, 600 bucks a year on a good year, or 800 bucks on a medium year. And uh, the winners for the best burnout for the event got the 50 bucks. Roger Hanna used to complain to me that Kevin Kinsley was burning up $700 worth of tires to win five fifty bucks. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that guy that was uh, the one that's been dominating the funny car cast, he was, he was a fuel driver, and he just got that funny car body right before the first event last year. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful looking body, though. Yeah, I've seen pictures of it. Uh, nice looking car. You know, and, uh, that, I, I wish those guys great luck with that funny car chaos deal. I think Chris and Tara and a few other people that are involved with that have done a great job. Uh, There's some lessons to be learned by the guys and the, the suit and ties and the big uh, sanctioning bodies. Uh, from what those guys are doing with uh, Funny Car Chaos, you know, there's 
butts and bleachers is the name of the game. You know, if you want to be a promoter, you got to do something that's going to get people to come out to the races. And and Chris uh, and Tara and you know the John Hales and those guys of the world have done real good at that. Um, so I wish them well, and I know they're going to do well. Um, oh yeah. I mean, find a funny car body and throw Joe in the car and let him go work all that stuff out. Yeah, that funny car cast is just going to grow bigger and bigger. Yeah, I believe it will, and I believe they're going to throw, you know, another couple of events each year until they get to a, a sweet spot where they can, you know, be successful and not overwhelm themselves with it. Uh, you know, I'd like to see one or two of those events out on the East Coast someplace so some of us guys could get the chance to go see them and then kind of spread them around, you know. Yeah. And uh, you think you could really do well. Um, you know, just running that series every year could be a very lucrative financial undertaking for people to take it on and do it correctly. Yep. So now, where do you get all your uh, fire safety equipment from, Jim? You know, I got uh, my suit is a Simpson. Uh, my shoots are DJ. Uh, I got... Uh, belts in my car uh, all my fire bottles are uh, fire aid mm, I got lots of brakes on the car I got I got uh, four six caliper uh, or six puck calipers on the back of the car then I got some old SPE uh, single uh, calipers on the front, so I got brakes all the way around. Um, so now, what 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 milestones have you reached in your uh, drag racing career? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm running a blown injected nitro car, and I'm able to do that. I mean, that to me is a like a minor miracle. You know, there were times when I I couldn't afford to drive back and forth to work. <laughs> you know, yeah. And I'm able to to pull this off and do it without jeopardizing anything else. Of course, I've been very lucky. You know, in my life, I was in the Navy a long time and learned some really great skills. So I've been able to put those to work, making a decent living over the years. So. I have a great shop in West Virginia. I actually got two of them. I am um, in the big one, and I'm I'm going to lease the little one out here as soon as I get all my crap out of it over there. But uh, and I got a nice house. I got a good family. Uh, you know, and I got a good job. I'm still working at 70 because I got bad habits to support. You know, I got race cars and grandkids. But you know, I'm happy. You know, I'm. I'm pleased and blessed to be able to do what I do and you know I don't take it for granted I understand that you know it comes with uh, some cost and you know it comes with some responsibility too so now throughout your uh, racing career have you had any accidents or uh, close calls oh yeah I got a couple of them uh, <laughs> I got a YouTube video um Foolish habit if you look it up on YouTube, and it's called Lane Swap, where I was uh, racing an alcohol car in Texas, and 
was qualifying, and I, and I didn't care about being late on the light. I just wanted to get the car set up and go. <laughs> and good thing I was late on the light, because as soon as I hit the throttle on it, it uh, the car it hit so hard that it broke the, one of the straps that hold the fuel tank on the front. And the fuel tank shifted back and hit an upright on the frame and cracked the well on the <coughs> the uh, the well between the back and the side of the fuel tank and dumped nitro all over the left rear slick. And I was probably doing 80, 80 to 100 miles an hour when it finally let loose. And I was in the next lane in about half a second. Little short video, but it's interesting. Yeah, I'll look that one up later. Now, now besides drag racing, do you have any habits? I mean, not a habit. Do you have any other hobbies? You know, I don't. Uh, I like to work on mechanical stuff. I do some. I do some repairs on uh, Merc Cruiser style uh, inboard outboards, you know, and so I make a little extra money doing that. I <coughs> rebuild motors, uh, do some tune-ups on them. Uh, I buy a boat that has a bad engine in it, and I'll put a new motor in it and then resell the boat, you know, make a few bucks that way. I just like to stay busy. I like spending time in my shop. I love it down here. I've worked all my life to get a shop like this, and now I've got it the way I want it. Now I just got too much stuff in it. <laughs> It's like if you're if you're a shop guy, the rule is that the square footage in your shop is 20% smaller than what you need. And it doesn't make any difference how big your shop is. That's still the rule. Now, th throughout your drag racing career, have you won any uh, trophies or plaques or anything? Yeah, but I think all my trophy days were a long time ago when I was racing in the in the 70s up at Cecil and uh, the old track at Las Vegas. Uh, like in 75, I raced in Las Vegas quite a bit because I was down there for a year. Uh, but, you know, since then, we uh, I haven't run for anything that has any trophies involved with it to speak of. You know, you run for top 10, whatever, you know, annual top 10 numbers or something. But uh, So it's all like match racing now match racing, exhibition racing. I'd like to run Ted Bryan's car a couple times and get both of us out there. I think that'd be a lot of fun for the fans. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Yeah, Ted, Ted's, uh, that little fuel coupe he's got, there's a lot, a lot in that car. He's just, just starting to tap into it right now, but that, that Donovan he's got in there has got plenty of, plenty of horsepower in it. Now, if you were able to do time traveling and go backwards in time, would you do anything differently with your uh, drag race career? You know, I, I probably would. Uh, I think, you know, being in the Navy was the big uh, equalizer, so to speak, for me that kept me from doing something. We're not, we're not out here trying to... You know, at, at my level anyway, I'm not out here trying to improve my relationship with a sponsor. I'm out here trying to have fun and making sure that the people who are sitting in, are having fun to the degree that they want to come back and do it again. Yep. 
So I'm going to ask you a few uh, fun questions here, Jim. If if you and your wife have time to go on vacation, what's your favorite vacation spot? Well, I took her to Las Vegas for eight days a couple of years ago, and she thought that was way too long. I did, too. I got family who lives in Vegas, so we went out there and had a pretty good visit. But, uh, I mean, you know, I'm not sure. I think she wants to go to Myrtle Beach the next time we go, so that's where we're going to go. Uh, she's been uh, working through some health issues, and we're, we're going to beat that. She's going to be just fine. It's just going to take a little time. So Myrtle Beach is on that woman's bucket list. That's where we're going. Well, my wife and I will definitely keep your wife in our prayers. Thank you. No problem. We will take all those we can get. But like I say, she's going to do just fine. Yeah, well, I just had a, a friend of ours that, Thanks for a uh, hard rock heavy metal band just passed away recently he had cancer. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was in stage four. Then yep. he he went to hospice at home and he but then he passed away. But he did live yep. he lived longer than they thought he said he was gonna live for. At least he did get a little bit longer. So. Yeah, she's not nearly that uh, progressed. She's they caught it early enough, and she's got a good treatment program set up. She's still. I mean, her chemo is a twice a month, so that tells you that it's no—it's not that serious. I mean, certainly all of them are serious, but right. not like she's going to sit on a tube all the time to keep her alive. You know, she's, she's going to do very well. She's tough, uh, and she's always taken good care of herself, so it kind of came as a shock, but at least we caught her early enough to deal with it. Yeah, thank God. All right, now here's another fun question. What, what's your favorite food to eat, Jim? Well, uh, I like everything except eggplant and uh, onions. Two others I don't care for, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a pasta, fresh bread guy. Uh, I love steaks. I love chicken. I love burgers. Um, I love a good breakfast. You said you don't like onions. My my sister in law, she don't like onions either. Yeah, I don't care for them. I mean, I don't mind like onion salt flavoring and something. They're slimy, nasty little critters that I got no use for. <laughs> <laughs> now, does uh, Debbie cook? She's a very good cook. She doesn't like onions either. <laughs> What's your favorite dish that Debbie makes? Uh, she makes a she makes a fried chicken that is. Kind of like a fried chicken, but kind of like a, almost like a, a gravy uh, covered dish uh, with chicken breasts that are done in a pan in, in a gravy that she makes. And it's just delicious, man. You do that mashed potatoes, throw some of that gravy on, and I'll take it to work and eat it for three days, man. <laughs> it's awesome. So how are you doing health-wise?
but yeah, I'm good, man. I got, you know, aches and pains. Uh, had a uh, problem with a nerve in my elbow one time, and they did a little surgery on that, and then I had a knee, a meniscus tear in a knee, and I got a shoulder giving me a little grief, but you know, it's stuff that you expect, you know, well, I put 70 years on this shoulder, man, it's going to start complaining at some point. It's like, you know, you can't run forever on the same set of tires, right? Yeah. No, yeah. but I'm good. I'm actually in very good shape for my health and what I put myself through over the years. Yeah, me, I got high blood pressure, and then last week I just got the gout, gout for the first time. Gout? Yeah, it hurt like hell. Yeah, that <laughs> Miserable. I got a friend uh, that lives in Singapore who has problems with gout, and it can be very miserable. Felt like my foot was broken. Yep. Yep. It, uh, I think gout forms uh, crystals in your body, and they actually stab the nerves. <laughs> I was telling my wife, can't you just amputate my foot, please, and get rid of it? She's like, no, I'm not going to cut off your foot. I think the problem he had, uh, I think he told me that uh, when he started having bouts of it, they wanted to limit the amount of meat that he ate because they thought that contributed to it. Yeah, it's a lot of different stuff that causes God, like alcohol and then, then like you said, food, different foods, like the right. red red meats, stuff like that. Yep, that's what he told him. Stay off the red meat and see if that helps. So I read I read seafood, like uh, shellfish. Yeah, I love seafood, man. Uh, in fact, one of the one of the greatest meals I ever had in my life was at a restaurant out in California on US One out there in the middle of nowhere, and had an abalone steak, and it was like to die for. That good. All right, now what what's your favorite beverage to drink? Uh, I like a beer when it's hot outside. Uh, but I drink uh, Coke Zero, man. It's uh, got no sugar in it. And whatever chemicals they put in, it ain't killed me yet, so I'm good to go. <laughs> now, for beer, what's your favorite kind of beer? Uh, I like a beer that's made in Pittsburgh called Yingling. I don't know if you can get it in Chicago, but some of the stores out there might have it. It's the oldest active brewery in the U.S. called Yingling. I'm sitting up in my shop. That's the nice thing about having your own shop. I can sit here and look at a case of beer and nobody can say anything about it. Yeah. Yep. Now, now, Jim, what, what would you consider to be your favorite movie of all time? Patton. Was that about General Patton? Yeah, about General Patton. It was a George C. Scott movie. Tremendous movie. And it was very close to the based on actual events. It even, you know, talked about some of the trouble he got himself into, which was frequently. One of my favorite George C. Scott movies was uh, Taps. Was what? The movie Taps. Taps, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, with Timothy Hutton, George C. Scott. Yeah. Yep. Now, what, what would be your favorite music to listen to? Favorite music to listen to? I got a Pink Floyd t-shirt on, buddy. That I'll tell you. Classic rocker, huh? Yep. I think David Gilmore is probably the greatest guitar that ever lived. Uh, there are a lot of guys that come close to him, and I'll grant you that. But to me, he's got... He is the master. And then uh, I'm a good... I'm a, I'm a big Dire Straits fan, too. 
Much older style rock, Gary Moore, an old English guy, a rocker that died prematurely here 10 years ago. I liked him. Uh, But Pink Floyd uh, is, you know, that's that's the music I listen to most of the time. And there's so much of it that they've done over the years. and And actually, they haven't made a Pink Floyd song since the early 90s. But there's so much of it that they did in the 20 years that they were together that I can run albums on a thumb drive in my car for two days and not listen to the same song. Yeah, Dark Side of the Moon was a, that was one of the best albums. Yep. Yeah, that was the one that started it for me, Dark Side of the Moon. Uh, but, you know, I, I like a lot of music, uh, but it's, you know, that genre, the, the early... Uh, not the first generation rock, but like the second generation rock. Led Zeppelin. Yeah, like Led Zeppelin. Um, Jimmy Jimmy Hendrix. Yeah, I like Hendrix. Uh, I like the Who. Uh, Peter Townsend. Oh yeah. Yeah, classic rock. That's my brother. My brother got me into classic rock when I was when I was young. Then I started getting into heavy metal and stuff. Mostly I listen to hard rock, heavy metal, classic rock all the time. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like drag racing, man. You get it in your system, you can't get out of it. Yeah. Like my first band I started listening to, my my brother got me in, was the band Kiss. (laughs) Kiss, yeah, Kiss has done some good stuff. Uh, You know, Guns N' Roses, I like some of their stuff a long time ago, but... Yeah. Guys like, uh, you know, Billy Joel and, uh... Now, you like, like, Iro Speedwagon, Journey, and Sticks and all them, too, right? Yep, yep. Kansas, Hart. Hart, good. Uh, in fact, uh, um, there's a, a video out, uh, at one of some award ceremony, I think, that, uh, where Nancy Wilson does uh, Stairway to Heaven while the original Led Zeppelin guys are sitting up in a balcony watching her do it. She does it with a huge orchestra. Uh, you should watch that. It's on Facebook. You just type in there, Nancy Wilson, Stairway to Heaven, and you'll see it. It's a great video. I will definitely check that one out, Jim. Yep. Hey, look, man, I, it's uh, getting late. It's yeah, more- out here in the east, and I've been running since before five this morning. So I got like two more questions for you. Yeah, go. What what was it, what's been your most embarrassing moment on the track? Uh, that's an easy one, man. I was at uh, Temple Raceway in Temple, Texas. I think it's called Little River Raceway now, and uh, I was in the alcohol car before I converted it over to nitro. And we got the throttle stuck. She started it up just before the starting line and got the throttle stuck, had to shut it down and got that fixed. Then I finally got it up. We got it, went up and went to do the burnout. And when I got done with the burnout, I reached down to grab the lever for the reverser and I couldn't feel it. I couldn't find it. And, you know, you're strapped in the car. You can't see down there. You can't get your head far enough down to look down in the floorboards of where you're sitting because you just can't physically move that way. Right. 
And so what I ended up having to do was just drive the car off to get it off the track. And uh, what happened was the reverser lever had fallen off the Linko and was laying in the floorboards. So that was pretty embarrassing. I had one more where we fired the car and I'd been sitting in the staging lanes for like over an hour in the car in the summer in Texas and it was like 104 degrees and I was dying. And when we finally fired the car, when they got the oil oil down cleaned up, when they fired the car, my foot had gone to sleep. And when I had the throttle open just a little bit so they could squirt some alcohol into the injector to get it to fire. And when we fired the car, when it when they pulled the, the shorting clip off the magneto coil, the throttle wasn't shut all the way, and the car leapt forward and knocked the guy to the ground that was on my crew before I grabbed the brake and finally got it stopped. Wow. <laughs> that could hurt somebody. That's, uh, I think it happened to a couple guys. Uh, Bernstein, one time, they were lowering the body on his car after they fired it, and the body got hung up on the throttle and opened the throttle up and ran over one of his guys pretty much the same thing when they squirted the injector in there or squirted the alcohol they didn't realize the injector wasn't closed all the way and they went ahead and fired the starter up and pulled the shorting strap off and the car just jumped forward it was like you know 2800 rpm and the clutch is already locked up well at least you didn't get hurt yeah nobody got hurt that was the main thing yeah. all right now what what would you consider to be the, the fondest memory of your drag racing career Well, which one stands out the most to you? I think having a big cookout at the racetrack in Denton after the last race of the year in 2013. Uh, we basically partied all night down there. It was a lot of fun. Cool. Well, if people people listening to the interview want to find out where you're going to be at, what's the best way to, for them to find any kind of skip? website updated as I get the car closer to being ready to go out for some testing and I will put the dates and the locations of where we're going to take the car when and it'll be on the website it's foolishhabitracing.com awesome well you have any or, uh, thank yous you want to do before we close out nope I, just, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to everybody uh, and I wish everybody you know safe times, good health, and, you know, help grow the sport. Awesome. Well, Jim, I want to thank you very much for taking time to do the interview, and I wish you the best of luck this season with the uh, few altered. All right. Hey, uh, when I get some feedback on the uh, on the interview, I'll, I'll, I'll shoot you a note. All right. Sounds good. You have a great night, Jim. Appreciate the opportunity, man. I really do. We'll do another one in the future. Okay. We'll do. Have a good night. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.